1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Knight. It's so glad to have you all with us for another edition of the show today. We're excited about the fact that we are doing today's show in front of an audience at the Georgia Bar Media Conference, which is a conference that brings together attorneys, judges, elected officials, journalists. It's been going on now for 29 years, and it's a day in which They are able to talk about issues that relate to work that they are all doing, the intersection of all of those businesses. And uh, we're excited to be here in front of this audience today. So thank you all for letting us come in and do the show with you all. We have a lot to talk about, obviously, um, and I'm going to introduce the panel and get right to it. Uh, Jim Galloway, of course, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is here. You read Jim on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper. Jim oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com, which you can read Online uh, every morning, and we're going to get to in a little while. You've got a really interesting story about center race number one, the Democrats that we'll get to in a little while. Right, right. So, so this we're calling this "Rewind on Trial." Is that? Re- what you're <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Eric Tannenblatt is with us. Uh, you all know Eric. Eric is the head, the global head of government relations for Dentons the world's largest law firm. But Eric's been a longtime activist in Republican Party politics, goes way back when Paul Coverdale was a state legislator, and there weren't many Republicans in That's the right. legislature, but you've gone on, obviously, Eric, and have been involved with uh, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush. You worked on uh, a Jed's campaign during the short period of time he was running. and. Uh, Mid Romney was another one of the people you've uh, aligned yourself with over the years.
2: And Sonny Perdue.
1: Also former chief of staff when Sonny Perdue was governor. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. Good to have you here. Sam Olins is back with us today. Sam, of course, former attorney general of the state of Georgia, and uh, before that, probably one of the most successful and popular commission chairs in the metro area when he headed the Cobb County Commission. How many years were you Cobb County Commission chair? You don't remember?
3: <laughs> I, was, I was 12 years between commissioner and chair, so probably about nine.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Um, Michael Thurman is back uh, with us today, and we're really glad to have him here as well. Um, Michael, CEO of DeKalb County, you've been in any number. You started out in the state legislature, the first African-American elected to the legislature from Athens, Georgia, but you've been Labor Commissioner DeKalb County School Superintendent. What am I missing?
4: Former member of the Butler, Wooten, and Pete Law Firm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I miss them dearly right All <laughs> <laughs> right. And
1: Amy Steigerwald uh, is with us again. Of course, Amy is uh, a political science professor at Georgia State University. Maybe more important, Amy is also a member of the A-Team, the group of political (laughs) scientists who we have been bringing in after every primary and caucus, the best political scientists you could imagine having together to talk about the outcome of racism. You're gonna be with us again on Monday when we break down what happened in South Carolina and look forward to Super Tuesday. Yes, We're getting a lot of use out of you. We appreciate that. All right, let's get started. Michael Thurman, this is the second time in two weeks that you've come on the show and given us a lead story. You did, you've done two things in 24 hours. Let's take one at a time. Okay. There was a lot of speculation that you planned to run for Senate seat number two, uh, the seat that Kelly Leffler now holds. Um, you announced yesterday, and you were, let's face it, you were thinking about it, right?
4: I considered it, yes.
1: Well, how seriously did you consider it? Was it was a serious
4: consideration. Okay. A serious consideration.
1: And you decided yesterday? Not
4: to run to seek re election uh, to a second term as CEO of DeKalb County.
1: Jim? Thank you. Wow. Jim, there are a lot of people who looked at the the Democratic uh, contenders in that race right now. Got Matt Lieberman, got um, Tarver and Tarver. Mm You've got um Raphael Warnock who who people right. are consolidating around, but you had a lot of people who expressed some concern that Warnock may be a little too liberal for the Georgia electorate, and they thought Thurman might be the guy who would be a more moderating force in that race.
5: Right, right. And and uh I've got to say that I, I, I think what, what, what Michael is doing is is wonderful. I I I've said that he's kind of going in the direction of Shirley Franklin. Uh, he's going to be DeKalb County's uh, infrastructure uh, guru and, uh, and, and trying to bring back uh, the, the, the state of good government there. Uh, I, would also, I would also point out that uh, uh, you can't separate his decision to run for CEO again away from that other story. That we, uh, need to talk well,
1: about why don't you again. go ahead and tell us what the other story is, since uh, you put it up uh, before anybody else got to it. By the well, way, thanks, Mike, for giving it to the AJC and not Political Rewind. <laughs> <laughs> when he gives it to the
4: AJC, he gives it to Rewind. I, I know. Which, well, but, the AJC has more ink to, yeah. to. All right. <laughs> what, what's the right. story?
5: Yeah, the story is at, uh, what is it, at noon today? You're, you're going to be having a rally at Georgia Piedmont. Technical
4: College in
1: DeKalb County.
5: In DeKalb County, and you are going to be endorsing Michael Bloomberg in the
1: Democratic Presidential Contest. That is correct. Mike, you were on the show two weeks ago, and you were um, uh, very close on the day that you came in to making the official announcement that you were supporting Bloomberg. You decided that you would not do it two weeks ago. And when I asked you what you were waiting for, you said, I want a face-to-face meeting. I want to look him in the eye. Have you had a chance to do that, or have you some facsimile of that?:
4: Yes, he and several members of the senior staff, but let me back up to the decision not to run for the u s Senate. Uh, it, it's been a lifelong dream. I ran in 2010, uh, I lost in 2010 to Johnny Isaacson then, and uh, something that I've always dreamed and hoped for. But something happened. I spoke to three I was really scores of individuals, but I had a meeting. Uh, with former Senator Sam Nunn for breakfast. Uh, I had a detailed conversation with former Senator Saxby Chambliss. And I had a long, uh, very enlightening telephone call with former U.S. Senator Joe Lieberman, who called me one day. And independently, all three of those fine former public servants said the same thing. They said, Mike, if you're really interested in getting things done and helping people, in a very hands-on, fundamental way, you do not want to go to the U.S. Senate. <laughs> and that resonated with me, coming from a Republican, a Democrat, and someone who is presented himself as an independent. And I have spent my life in public service, like an attorney, you want to make a difference for your clients and for the people you serve. And the Senate right now is not a place to be because it's so toxic and so partisan It is just very difficult to get anything.
1: Of course, Amy, there's a certain irony in getting that advice from Joe Lieberman, considering that his son, Matt Lieberman, is running for the United States Senate.
0: (laughs) Things can be both truthful and confusing given your uh, familial <laughs> ties. And but perhaps I think,
1: convenient as well. Yes,
0: but I think there is something to that. I mean, the Senate right now has been incredibly successful in confirming judicial nominees. And other than that, they haven't done a lot. I mean, so that's a huge deal, which especially to this group, um, the uh, President Trump has now c- confirmed almost a third of sitting judges on the federal courts and that's going to have ramifications for the next 20 to 30 years. Um, but when it comes to sort of other things that most people are paying attention to, the Senate hasn't done a lot. They've had a lot of things that they've refused to bring up and it has been a much more partisan place than even a decade ago.
4: Um, Sam, and By the way, he did go not ahead. ask me not to run. You know, I've known Senator Lieberman for about 25 years when uh, he was in national politics and uh, he did not ask me not to run. I asked his son to ask his dad to give me
1: a call. You know, Sam, you understand exactly what that is all about. I mean, your long tenure at Cobb County as chairman, I think, is an example of how much you can get done at a, at a local level that you can't necessarily get done when you're a member of Congress these days.
3: Now, absolutely, I mean, and I'm not really sure it makes a difference simply because DC is dysfunctional. The, the fact of the matter is government closest to you has the biggest effect on you and it also permits those office holders to do the most for you. And you know, when you look at Mike's career, uh, the school system was a disaster and he cleaned it up and made a huge difference. When he became the CEO of DeKalb County, I still have no clue why anyone thinks the CEO position is a good one as compared to chair, but that's for a different day, uh, because I think by definition, it inbreeds dysfunction between the commissioners and the CEO that that whole system's uh, poor. Uh, But he brought instant credibility to the position and has once again made a huge difference for DeKalb County. And as we all know, you can't clean up a mess in one term. So uh, he still has plenty to work on in, in a second term to get DeKalb County to where its residents think it should be.
1: Eric, I wanna get you into conversation. I have a question I wanna ask you, but I think you wanna comment on that first. Well, I just wanted to to say that the person who I think for both of these stories,
2: Michael not running for the Senate, and Michael endorsing uh, Bloomberg, uh, the person who should be celebrating is Raphael Warnock because number one, in the Democratic Senate primary, I think Michael would have been the most formidable among the Democrats that are in the race. Uh, And I think that Michael Bloomberg is probably going to, uh, Michael Bloomberg being the Democratic nominee, if he were to get there, uh, would be the most uh, helpful to Raphael Warnock, given Raphael Warnock's perception, the perception that he is very much to the left. And Michael Thurman, I think, can help Michael Bloomberg uh, and it would be much better than having Bernie Sanders as the nominee.
1: Well, so let me ask you the question I want to ask you, you led me right into it, is um, there's also an argument to be made that by his not jumping into the Senate race, it helps your candidate, and I, I don't mean you've endorsed her, but I know you're going to be part of that Republican team that encourages Kelly Leffler to be uh, the winner of that jungle race, uh, Thurman could have been a much tougher opponent in some way. We still haven't vetted Raphael Warnock. There's a host of uh, Sermons out there in which he's established very liberal positions that might not play well to Georgians. And, And so in some ways, I would think that Thurman not jumping in might be an advantage for Leffler oh
2: a- absolutely and and to your point about uh, Raphael Warnock, that vetting is taking place. I got a call from a journalist this week about a story that's underway right now that's going to come out uh, in the coming days about some of his sermons, so it's going to be a real problem for the Democrats in the race
1: Jim, why don't you before we turn to Bloomberg, weigh in a little bit more on on Thurman's choice not to run for senate well it,
5: look it, 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 it's 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 First of all, it's it, it's it's a terribly expensive race here. I mean, you're talking about running in November. Likely, if you survive, you're in a runoff January fifth, twenty twenty one, and then even if you survive that, you've got to run yet again in twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two. I think it's. I, I think that's that's a that's a that's a, a very very hard thing to do, uh, if you if you are not uh, independently wealthy and you don't have, and, and
1: quite frankly, if you don't have
5: Stacey Abrams and her money behind, behind you.
1: Oh, let's remind people, because it's always important that Senate seat number two, the seat now occupied by the appointed Kelly Loeffler is a jungle election, Democrats, Republicans, all on the same ballot on November 3rd, the same day as the general election. You, The top two vote-getters, assuming nobody gets over 50% and nobody's likely to, will have to compete in a runoff. So is, is Galloway right? Is there some of that structural uh, issue, some of the, the cost that it would take to, to run and then have to turn around again quickly? Was that part of your consideration? I feel like I'm a
4: witness at my own autopsy. (laughs) I (laughs) was being disemboweled here. But but, with that being said, and the other point was the DSCC uh, uh, made it clear that they were going to support Reverend Warnock, and you can't raise it. It's very difficult to raise $20 million as a Democrat.
1: Will you enthusiastically Georgia. support uh, a candidate or are you going to stay out of the jungle election at no, all?
4: No, I'll support the nominee, whoever
1: he or she is. Well, but you're not going to have a nominee. You're going to have Tarver, you're going to have well, you're going to have Warnock a all out of ballot. Are you could also have...
2: support Leffler. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, no, but. Doug <laughs> <John>
4: Collins? <laughs> but no, I. I, I don't know. I, I want to see how, who else gets in the race. I'm I'm hearing that there will be other people who qualify. Yeah, you on got, the Democratic you, side yeah. in that race.
5: Yeah, right now you've got three Demo, you've got three Democrats, an independent. Uh, we've been promised a Libertarian, and then you've got mm-hmm. two, at least two
4: Republicans, and at least one more Democrat. At mm-hmm. least who else? Uh, State Representative Eva Mabel Thomas. Uh, last mm-hmm. night at the Georgia Legislative Black Caucus Heritage Dinner. Was stating that she's going to
1: run. Oh my God, mm-hmm. Galloway! That's really uh, an interesting Stop development. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh.
5: It's well, it's, it's it, it it it's it's an interesting fracturing of the city of Atlanta vote. I
2: think.
1: Yeah, um,
2: it's but also you, you, it could also we could also end up with. Two Republicans in that runoff. Oh right! Oh, all oh yeah! Mm-hmm. Look, right. I,
5: I don't want to make too much light of, of Abel Mabel's uh, entrance, but look, take a look at Alan Buckley. He's in there. He's, he's he was a former Libertarian. He's, right. He's announced for it. He got one hundred and sixty-two thousand votes in uh, in in the. Uh, in the last contest, in his last statewide contest, that's four percent. You start bleeding away four percent, two percent, one percent, and you're right. right. Then it does. Then it right. then it can have a terrific impact on the on the top two finishers.
1: All right, um, well, we, I, I want to talk about a, a story that involves the other side of that race, uh, uh, the Senate race number one, Jim, in, in a little while, but because it's what I mentioned when I said you have a lead item we should talk about. But before we do, we've already talked Bloomberg with you a little bit. Um, So let's talk about, uh, Mike, you at a time when a lot of people, after the first debate in Las Vegas, were suddenly expressing enormous apprehension, people who had been sort of leaning toward him, at least one Georgia legislator, Jen Jordan, actually endorsing him, but came on our show the other day and said, well, yeah, I'm sort of endorsing him, but I'm watching. He's been under the microscope, and now you choose to jump in on him.
4: Yes, and primarily because one of the things he demonstrated as mayor of New York was an an outstanding, uh, unique ability to uh, develop and implement strategies and programs that actually netted positive gains for the citizens of New York, one of the most diverse, complex cities in the world. And, you know, there were issues raised about stop and frizz, but, look, none of us are perfect. He apologized for it. I don't know anyone in public office who not made a mistake or mistakes in terms of how they develop and implement public policy. He's apologized for it. And what I had the conversations about is how do you, number one, what have you learned from campaign and how will you go forward? Uh, I think he brings a lot to the table. None of the candidates are perfect, but of the ones that I'm considering, and I was considering Joe Biden and Mike Bloomberg, and of the two, I settled with Joe Biden. I mean, with uh, Mike Bloomberg. <laughs> uh,
5: yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael, uh, q- quick question. When, in your conversation with Bloomberg, uh, what, <clears throat> what, what sense did you get of the kind of investment uh, he's willing to make in the, in the Georgia race? Because that's, that's, that could be exceedingly important.
4: Huge. And beyond that, the thing, and I don't know whether people really paid it attention. What he's also saying is, even if I don't win the nomination, I'm going to invest one billion dollars to help Democrats in November. I've never heard any candidate, at any level, commit to such an, uh, an a huge investment, and in the state of Georgia.
2: And, and I think Michael's point, uh, you know, about stopping frist and. Having people like Michael Thurman out there supporting Bloomberg is, is only going to help. I, he- I heard a, an interview uh, this morning on uh, MSNBC on Morning Joe that uh,
1: they were previewing. There's the- a news flash. Tannenblatt watches MSNBC in the morning. Hey, I I have
2: to to hear what the other side is saying. (laughs) But they had had clips of an interview that's going to run this weekend with with Bloomberg. And one of the questions that he was asked was whether he was going to get out of the race if Joe Biden does better in in South Carolina or stay in the race through the bitter end. And he said as long as there's a plausible way for him to win – He'll take this all the way to the convention following the Democratic rules. And hearing that and knowing how deep his pockets are, and having people like Michael Thurman on board, I think this is going to get down to Michael Thurman and Bernie Sanders.
1: Um, let me bring some more people uh, in. E- e- uh, Michael I, Bloomberg I, and Bernie me, my, my, Michael Bloomberg and Bernie
4: <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not running for CEO, but I will announce my race for president. <laughs> All right, I this is
2: the Michael Thurman show. So.
1: Well, if Pete can do it. I can do Amy, it, right? Amy, Amy, it strikes me, and you'll, you'll tell me, and I'd love to get you on this one too, Sam, that one of the reasons that people like Michael Thurman are willing now to jump in with Bloomberg even after you know there were folks who said oh he's ill equipped he can't debate it's a, this is now about perhaps to some extent stopping Bernie Sanders and Bloomberg is becoming increasingly the candidate people think can do that, although we'll watch tomorrow in South Carolina to see if Biden's able to resurrect his campaign and we'll talk about that in a little while too.
0: Exactly. Well, I think that there's multiple things that are going on. So, on the one hand, sort of within the party, you do have these concerns about Bernie Sanders is leading right now. Now, granted, we've only put out about 150 delegates and there's a whopping 54 that are coming tomorrow and they have to get to almost 2,000 in order to win the nominations. We have a long way to go. But, Bernie Sanders is definitely leading within that. He is leading in the national polls and continues to be. He's actually looking quite strong in South Carolina where he hadn't previously, uh, is coming back there. And so there is this debate between where does the party want to go, right? Does it want to be sort of more moderate uh, or sort of a center left? Does it want to sort of pursue more of the uh, sort of our revolution, as the the phrase is from there? I think the other issue is that a lot of people are focused on this question of electability. Now, the problem is that no one actually knows what electability is. They know it when they see it, sort of like uh, obscenity laws. And so people are trying to determine what that is and also in the context of who we know that the Democratic nominee is going to run against, which, of course, is President Donald Trump. And so I think that there is also a question of who is it that can go toe-to-toe with Trump, who has the money to, because that's the other really important part of this, is that the Republican Party has raised insane amounts of money uh sort of as this has all been going on it's not being reported we're not sort of focusing on it in the same way as we are the fundraising totals of the democrats so i think that's coming into it the final thing i'm going to say on this is what's really fascinating is if you sort of talk to people who don't spend their lives enmeshed in the political world people only know a couple of names they know biden they know sanders right because they know him well from the 2016 race they obviously know biden because he was vice president for eight years, plus a senator before that, they know the name Bloomberg. Some of that's because there's ads everywhere, but they also know who Bloomberg is. He's also been around for a long time. Um, And in some states, at least, they know Steyer now because he's blanketing the race. And then after that, people really don't have a clue. They're not paying attention. There's been 10 Democratic debates, but yet most people have watched zero. And so that's some of it.
1: So, Sam, um, meanwhile... On the other side of uh, the race, uh, Leffler has put out an ad just to show you uh, what Sanders might do if you are uh, concerned about how uh, far to the left he uh, is. Leffler now has a spot on the air, which basically targets him. She says, among other things, "You know, I'm running for God and country in America, but also to beat the socialist Bernie Sanders." He's, he's, and there are candidates, Republicans in other states who are running similar ads targeting Bernie Sanders as the guy they are gonna run against.
3: Yeah, he's replaced Nancy Pelosi. So you know, by definition, you take your best case scenario to, to invigorate your base to show up at the polls. Yeah. And you know, with regard to, to, to what the professor was stating, you know, when you think about it, Biden's still in South Carolina. He has to win and he has to really win tomorrow. Bernie's been in Virginia, North Carolina, Texas. His numbers are going up in South Carolina, but he isn't he in isn't South even on Carolina. The right. If Biden wins tomorrow, does he have enough money to do anything other than a Delta flight to the next location? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So which makes Bloomberg that much more likely to do well on Super Tuesday because it takes money to be in all those markets.
1: I, Sam just put his finger on it, Jim. I mean, right now, the real clear polling averages show that Biden has regained his momentum there. He's now double-digit leads over Sanders and the rest of the field is far behind. But as Sam points out, he's got, then, he's got no money. He, has, he is not on the air in any of the 14 Super Tuesday states which vote next Tuesday. So he, even if he should have a big victory tomorrow, it's going to be tough for him to be competitive in South in uh, in Super Tuesday states. Yeah, although he might do okay in the southern yeah, he, he's, states. Yeah. He's almost in, in 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 John McCain land.
5: Uh, mm. uh, what was that? Was that two thousand eight? Yeah. Yeah. Where where he's, he is? You know, it's one man in a suitcase. Uh, and one man in a carry on. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the the figure I was hearing yesterday is that he's got that Biden has. Uh, adds up in some of those those 14 states for, for Super Tuesday. Uh, it's in the th- uh, the
1: total buy is in the six digits. Yeah, he's got. That. That's which exactly is, which is, the which point. Is nothing. Yeah, I said that. I mean, I, yesterday I think it was like. You know the notion that a campaign says, "You oh, we've got a six-figure, I mean, yeah, six-figure buy in some of the Super Tuesday states means they don't have anything up on the air."
2: Well, it's also infrastructure. I mean, yeah, Michael Bloomberg is probably the best. His his organization, the analytical data they have, they know exactly what they're doing. This man is a very successful business person and spent a lot of time crunching numbers, and so he he knows what he's doing. I also think that we sometimes lose. Uh, side of the fact that Bernie Sanders has a cap. You know, I I know he has momentum right now, smaller states. We'll see what he does in South Carolina. I think Biden's going to do better. But there's a cap. And then given the fact that these other candidates are not going to have the resources to go forward, when you get some of these other candidates, whether it's Klobuchar or Warren, and they start dropping out, and you start consolidating uh, the more middle-of-the-road candidates or moderate candidates like Bloomberg or or Biden, I think you're going to start then seeing this is going to narrow down, as I said before, to a two-man race.
1: Michael, let me get you the last word before we get to our break.
4: But we shouldn't take what Barney Sanders uh, is doing, you know, and marginalize it. The one thing about Barney's supporters, they are extremely loyal, and they are energized. And I've read several uh, commentaries where some people compare Barney's campaign to the guy named Donald Trump's campaign. And Barney is speaking to a group of people who believe, either rightly or wrongly, that this economy has not served them fairly. And I don't agree with Mr. most of his uh, positions, but there is a large segment of the population that he's appealing to, and you can't really ignore that as Ye- a reality. Yeah, but Jim, America. I'm
1: gonna give you the last word. The problem is, that they're mostly under 40, and we know what the propensity for people in that age group is to vote.
5: Right, and, I, and it, when when I, when Eric started using the word cap, I was I, that 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 immediately threw me back yeah. to 2016. Yeah, yeah, he's got a cap, but 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 the, this this 15 percent margin, uh, the 15 percent uh, that you've got to get to get any delegates in in remaining states. Uh, that's that's just as tough for the other candidates as it is for Bernie.
1: Absolutely. All right, let's do this. We got to get a break out of the way, and uh, when we're back, we'll continue our conversation in front of the uh, people who are gathered here at the Georgia State Bar for the Georgia Bar Media Bar Media and uh, I'm sorry, the Georgia Bar Media and Judiciary Conference. I knew I'd get it. We'll be back in a moment.
5: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind.
1: Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Amy Steigerwald, Michael Thurman, Sam Olins, Eric Tannenblatt, Jim Galloway with us today. Uh, Jim, let's – we talked about uh, Senate race number two. You had a pretty interesting item at the top of the jolt today uh, that has to do with Theresa Tomlinson, who's one of the Democrats, of course, and we've got Theresa Tomlinson, Sarah uh, Riggs Amico. And uh, John Ossoff, as the competitors on the Democratic side of that race for David Perdue's seat, what's the news today? Uh,
5: the news today is that State Senator Emanuel Jones has flipped from Teresa Tomlinson to John Ossoff, mm-hmm. uh, citing his uh, citing his fundraising uh, ability, mm-hmm. uh, which I, th- I find is a very interesting uh, interesting move, especially given that you know that uh, that a year ago we were we were kind of uh, uh, predicting that 2020 would be the the the, the year of female candidates, uh, it's it's I find it I there's a, there's a, I think what you're seeing right now, and I will wrap Mr. Thurman in in this is you've got a lot of decisions being made by Democrats about what's best for the Democrat State Democratic Party on November 3rd, uh, and that's 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 where Jones is going. I'm I'm sure uh, Michael would say that's where he's going.
1: Mike, what, what do you what do you make of that? I mean, Teresa Tomlinson, first one to jump out and get into the race, she's been accumulating lots of endorsements, loses this one. Um, what's going on there? Well,
4: calculations. Uh, Senator Jones's uh, endorsement is significant. Uh, obviously, he's a very successful business person, former chair of the Georgia Legislative Black Caucus. I think people are making very uh, pragmatic-type decisions. Typically, we Democrats, we very, we not all the time, but emotion plays a part. But in this campaign season, I find more and more of my Democratic uh, colleagues and others making more pragmatic, strategic decisions about who they may or may not support. And you're gonna see that continue to play out throughout the campaign
1: season. Sam, uh, we know that David Perdue has an enormous war chest. At the end of the year, he was reporting $7 million plus in the bank. Ossoff is the only one who even, uh, doesn't even approach him. Is it a million-plus, and the other candidates are far behind that. Um, is that a problem just right now, or once Democrats consolidate around a Democratic primary winner, does that start changing?
3: So I I continue to believe that the top of the ticket nationally has a lot to do with that issue and that if there is malaise or dissatisfaction, i.e. if Bernie is the nominee, then even without that separation of money, the Democratic nominee is going to be in big trouble to try and beat David Perdue. So I, I don't think the difference between seven to one is the issue. I think the difference is who's the nominee. And let's face it, if it's Bernie in our state, mm. the Democrat nominee's in trouble.
2: Eric? Well, I, I think David Perdue has broad support. And, and so I think whoever the Democratic nominee is going to have to contend with that. I mean, it's not like the other Senate race where, you know, whether it's Kelly or Doug on the Republican side are having to get People statewide to to get to get to know them, but I think Sam, Sam is absolutely right. I mean the top of the ticket is going to have a big impact on what happens especially for for Democrats and if Bernie Sanders is the nominee for the Democrats, I, I think that this is going to be a very bad year in Georgia for for the Democrats
5: yeah and 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 to emphasize uh, Michael's uh, comments about practicality, we yes yes, you do have two u s Senate races. Uh, in Georgia. You have a presidential race and in the, in, in the possibility of Georgia flipping. But most important, and I'm, I'm saying this with uh, knowing that uh, Debose Porter, the former House Minority Leader, is in the audience, you've got Democrats within 16 seats of control of the State House and you've got redistricting looming. So yeah, the, these, these decisions are being made in, in, a, in a very uh, real politique climate.
1: You know, Amy, when you think about Sanders, uh, who, who has got all this momentum, uh, in the last week or so, you, you, you do have to kind of wonder. He, there's a Trump-like quality to his kind of stubborn insistence on sticking to talk, what he believes in, even when people say to him, please be quiet. <laughs> two, two examples, of course. One, Sanders, Sanders never goes to APEC the big annual meeting of the American-Israeli uh, uh, you know, uh, lobbying group. Um, but not only does he not go this time, he puts out a statement about the fact that they're bigots and he wouldn't have anything to do with them. Now, he may not wanna show up, but I'm not sure quite what he gains by attacking APEC. So that's one example. And then we have the more recent example where he uh, praises Daniel Ortega, in Nicaragua, there are people in this room who don't even know who Daniel Ortega was. They're so young, but he was a—you know—he was—he was—he was a impressive leader in Nicaragua. America fought a war, the the uh, Sandinista war against him, uh, and praises Castro. We now talk about his honeymoon in the Soviet Union, where he talked about the beautiful crystal chandeliers in the subways, and any effort. To try to get him to pull back on that kind of talk seems to just inspire him to do more, which is why I say there seems to be a Trump-like quality to him.
0: I think what's interesting is that we get into this debate over authenticity versus how it, how palatable you are to how you're expressing yourself and where you are. And there is definitely, I think the ability, and now here I sort of go to a lot of research that I've done on gender differences in legislative behavior and also in campaigns that, um, to be perfectly blunt, men have a lot more uh, ability to be authentic, to sort of double down on some of these positions in ways that their female counterparts simply don't. Because of course one of the things that's happening up here is We've not talked at all about any of the fe- most of the female candidates that are running. There's kind of a number of them. Some of them are actually doing really quite well. Uh, they've had some really big fundraising tolls. Uh, at least one of them is in third, actually, right now in the delegate counts, but we've not really spoken a lot about that. Who's doing well? Um, uh, well, I mean, Elizabeth Warren is third in the delegate count so far. Right. She also had uh, some pretty massive fundraising numbers that came in uh, the other days. Um, I think the other thing about it, there, uh, there was a great poll that uh, Ariel Levy uh, discovered that she put out that was from Roper asking, what do you think is the likelihood that no matter who the Democratic nominee is, the Republicans will still refer to them as a socialist? And the numbers were really quite high. The poll was from 1950. <laughs> it was not from today. Um, we saw in 2018, right, Nancy Pelosi was run everywhere, she's gonna bring sort of evil, liberal San Francisco to places, the Democrats took back the House and in a lot of places where those ads were most run, they came back, so I think there's a bunch of things. Number one, it's very, it really is, we sort of forget about this, it's super early. Right, once we know who nominees are, number one, parties are going to start putting in money, right? So, whoever it is, I mean, both on the Republican and on the Democratic side, they're going to be putting their support behind and they're going to be spending that. But the other part is there's a lot of people who wait until the general election to raise money. Part of what is hard to sort of comprehend is all money that's being raised right now is only raised for the primaries. You have to start fundraising over for the general election. It's a different period, it's a different time, and so that does make it sort of confusing to kind of figure out what is going on there, but I do think that all of this is going to come into play, and sure, I think there's a lot of people that would not like to hear about, you know, the positives of Daniel Ortega and, you know, Fidel Castro, I guess, maybe on the other side, that a lot of the people where Bernie has the most support don't have any clue who those people are, right. and we're dead, I, I, uh, or not alive yet, so.
1: E- Eric, I want to get you in here. Uh- I do want to point out, I think, uh, uh, Amy, you make a very fair point that female candidates this cycle, well, I, I would argue that Elizabeth Warren early on when she was a front runner was getting an enormous amount of attention. We should say that in the latest Mammoth poll, Mammoth poll of South Carolina, and they're an A-plus rated poll by uh, 538, Elizabeth Warren's at 8 percent, Klobuchar's at 4 percent. So it isn't as if we're ignoring people who are way up high on the polls. Nevertheless, I don't argue at all that women have some disadvantage. Yes, but the
0: national polls candidates. are a little bit different. Yeah, and I, I also I the that. Super right. Tuesday well, states well, well, where well, we've well, got well, 1,400 I, I, delegates. I hear so. that.
2: Well, but I'll give you a, another data point that we should factor in, is that part of Super Tuesday is ma- in, is Massachusetts. And yeah. the latest poll has Bernie Sanders up one point in yeah, her home state. Yeah,
1: that's going to be – if that she can't can win out. Massachusetts, unfortunately, she's out of this state. But
4: I believe that this race, this campaign, this election – will be about Donald Trump. You will will either support or oppose him. And we forget that President Trump is a relatively unpopular president. The one thing that has really been to his advantage is the economy. Well. (laughs) Okay, so. And and the stock market that just lost 3,000 points. Think back to 2008 one of the things that really contributed to Barack Obama's election victory was the crash of the stock market. To suggest somehow that this political landscape or this election season is, is, is carved in stone is just not true. And one of the more ironic things about this campaign, when we went through a period of, 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 of self, of, of moving away from internationalism, now we have a threat that can cross the border regardless as to whether you have a wall or not.
1: Sam?
3: You know, George Bush uh, couldn't get to 50 percent, and the Democrats thought they had a win. And then uh, President Bush got a gift called John Kerry. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you may have an unpopular president, but people still look to see the alternative in that regard. And the, the last thing I'd say is if you looked at the last debate, I know there were at least 10 people that did. If you look at the last debate, Tom, I know it's not really 10, but if you look at the last debate, 13, uh, Elizabeth Warren was, in essence, doing Bernie's work on Bloomberg. She kept asking the tough questions of Bloomberg, which from my perspective means she's already figured out she lost and she wants to be on Bernie's coattails.
1: Galloway, there are a lot of people who had the same observation Sam's talking about. What the heck was she doing attacking Bloomberg? Rather than going after front runner Sanders, look, and she I'm, did it two debates in a row.
5: I, I couldn't figure out what anybody was doing <laughs>
1: <that> <laughs> because
5: we couldn't understand anything and, anybody yeah, was saying, and that's why I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of tossing that debate out as a, an outlier. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. All right, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way, and we'll come back in just a moment with more on today's political rewind. <laughs> Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. We're here at the Georgia Bar Media Judiciary Conference at the State Bar of Georgia with our panel. Uh, By the way, we uh, just got word that Governor Kemp at noon today is going to be talking about preparedness for coronavirus uh, here in Georgia, Um, obviously a subject that is uh, of great importance to people, not just here around the country, around the world. So we'll have news on that. Uh, on GPB News later today. Um, Let me talk a little more presidential for just a moment. Mike, you're gonna leave here and go to an event in DeKalb, which I believe I'm correct in saying is an event in which African-American leaders are gonna have an opportunity, like yourself, to talk about why Bloomberg, right? Yes. Okay, meanwhile, the Trump campaign has announced its opening retail style offices in something like 14 cities that are going to be targeted at encouraging African Americans to support Trump and the way these places are described, they really are described more like retail stores. You'll be able to go in and get Trump merchandise. There will be videos of Trump playing, talking about how much he's done for the African American community. In Atlanta, Sam Owens is going to be one of those cities. Does Donald Trump have a reasonable Um, As a Republican now, would you encourage him to spend much time trying to win the African-American vote in a state like Georgia?
3: Yes, and the reason I say that is because if he goes up 50 percent from 8 percent to 12 percent, that's enough to make a huge difference in the electoral count nationwide.
2: I I agree. I think that uh, any incremental increase, and and he's got a record or, or things to run on, What he did with criminal justice reform the low unemployment rate in the african-american community so he you know part of the problems were part part of the problem republicans have had in the past is we just didn't show up we didn't reach out to certain communities and i and i think that what the trump campaign is doing is is wise and i think if there's incremental increase of support it could make a difference
5: jim i'll be impressed when i see the address of the office in atlanta Uh, and where it's located uh. Uh, tell us what that means to you. Well, I mean, look. It's, 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 it, to Eric's point, uh, you go where the people are, but how how do you present yourself? I mean, if you're going, if if you uh, if if you locate that office in, in in Sandy Springs, that's not the same thing as putting it in West Atlanta.
1: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Or Auburn Avenue. Mike, what's your thought on that?
4: <laughs> well, I encourage all candidates to seek votes from any and all voters and our (laughs) citizens, be that as it may. It's a positive to have a Republican nominee or elected official trying to increase the percentage and not suppress black votes. That's positive, because that has been a strategy that I think this represents a shift. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's not just a campaign. You have to look at what people have, have done. Uh, whether or not they've had programs in place. And I'm, what intrigues me most about Mike Bloomberg is what he's done in terms of creating jobs and economic opportunity and business opportunities for all people, and particularly people of color, to be a person of his success, his wealth, and being willing to share those, that knowledge with people who need opportunities, I think is unique. And okay. I'm, interested to see whether the words will in fact align with the
1: deed. All right, we'll watch for that. Uh, Sam, we don't have a lot of time left, but because we're in front of, a, uh, of an audience uh, in, involved in, in the law, um, give me your thoughts for a moment, if you will, on the – you know – President Trump from the start of his administration has found it uh, important to him at times to attack judges who make decisions he doesn't agree with, but it seems to have reached a new level in the trial of Roger Stone where he has attacked in very personal ways uh, the judge in the case, Amy Jackson Berman, um, uh, and, and he's gone after the forewoman of that jury claiming that she was biased from the start. I mean, when we have a president of the United States attacking the judicial system in that way, where are we headed?
3: So that's not a partisan type question. That's a legal value question and the answer is it's wrong. There is no um, valid purpose for going after jurors, going after judges, going after their ethnicity, going after their decisions. Uh, You know, Justice Roberts had a similar comment years ago that there aren't Republican and Democrat justices or judges. I think that's an area where politicians should frankly not go there and it's inappropriate.
1: So uh, Amy, add to that the additional attacks that Trump launched at uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sonia Sotomayor Mm -hmm. accusing them, saying they should recuse themselves from cases involving the president. Now that was a response we should point out to Justice Sotomayor uh, accusing the court of taking partisan position on emergency relief grants that the administration in an unusual number of cases was was sending directly to SCOTUS.
0: So it Will actually sort of, her dissent was actually about uh, executive use right. of stays. It was not necessarily right. partisan, but of a change in how uh, the court has well, uh, she responded accused, to this.
1: I think what I read was her, in her dissenting opinion, saying the case was showing bias toward
0: Trump. Uh, she said towards a, towards governmental towards the government okay. as a plaintiff, Fair which enough. Th- there is a bit of a distinction there, um, which I do think is important to that sort of, of there because it is a change in sort of how that power has been used. But I think what's more important is that um, I obviously agree with everything that Sam has said, and I think th- there's two levels on this. So on the one hand, right, obviously federal judges have life tenure, so – President Trump can say whatever he wants about them and they're not going anywhere, right? Their jobs are not in jeopardy, how much they're paid is not in jeopardy, their decisions are not in jeopardy. But what is potentially uh, in concern is sort of judicial legitimacy, right? Support for the court, especially among the public. Um, There's actually a new article that'll be coming out in about three weeks in Justice System Journal that finds that uh, when, even uh, lower sort of level political officials make derogatory comments about the courts that can cause individuals to shift their level of support for the courts in a negative direction, right? It doesn't take a lot and the concern is, right, as we all know, the courts lack the power of the purse and the power of the sword and so they really depend on uh, that swell of judicial independence and legitimacy. Um, Sam?
3: Two wrongs don't make a right but having a federal district court judge issue a nationwide injunction is grossly wrong. When I was attorney general, I never asked a district court judge to do a nationwide injunction. I had cases in Georgia, one in Brunswick, where I represented 20 other states. I never thought of having that judge issue a nationwide injunction. And part of that rush to the Supreme Court is due to district court judges frankly exceeding their authority. That doesn't make the president's actions any more right. But we frankly have an issue that I think needs to be discussed. How, you know, Jim,
1: however we look at this, and, and I, I thought this notion that this is not a partisan issue, this is an issue of how we view jurisprudence, is that like so much else in the Trump era, suddenly our institutions, we no longer have complete faith that they are operating with, uh, in the way they have always uh, have been Doing in this country, yeah, but 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 I will, I, will, I will tell you what I am I am
5: I am pinning my hopes on the judiciary. Uh, so far, they've 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 stood up pretty well. Uh, we we need to hear from John Roberts uh, uh, on 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 this, and uh, but but the uh, the Roger Stone case, I thought I thought you know I thought the, the, the judge behaved exemplary in the, in that situation. Uh, and, and, and her response was, was measured. It was,
1: uh, I think, I think that that was admirable. All right. Um, we are out of time uh, for today's Political Rewind. I wish we had another hour, especially in front of this audience, but I'm, I'm sure they're ready to go on for the rest of their conference. But Amy Steigerwald, Michael Thurman, Sam Olens, Eric Tannenblatt, and Jim Galloway, so glad to have you all here for this show today. Again, Political Rewind, on Monday, we'll be back following South Carolina. We'll have our A team, our political science professors, who have, are experts on uh, what's happening in Georgia in politics, presidential campaign politics, to talk about the South Carolina primary. And we'll be—if you pay attention to Politics G P B, our Twitter handle—we'll be keeping you up to speed on the South Carolina primary returns and the exit polls throughout tomorrow evening that's about it for us i want to thank our engineer jesse Neiswanger, dennis buchanan who is here to help on this and our intern Cherie pruitt also part of this show thank you for everything you've done thank you to the georgia bar media conference for inviting us to be with you today we'll see you again on monday take care everybody